where we're looking through Jesus' model of the Lord's Prayer. Right? So let's stand together. We're going to recite what many of you know as the Lord's Prayer. It's really a model prayer uh, from Matthew 6, 9 to 13. We'll recite it once again, and then we'll uh, be seated and we'll, we'll be into God's Word. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Ready? Begin. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. So once again, Matthew 6, 9 to 13, found in the Sermon on the Mount, it's a model prayer that Jesus gives us. And Luke, one of his disciples, uh, they had seen Jesus pray. It says when he finished praying, they said, hey, Lord, can you teach us to do that? Can you teach us to pray? And in Luke, he gives an abridged version of this. In Matthew 6, it's, it's what we're familiar with. Many of us call it the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. Really, it's really a model prayer. It should be the disciples' prayer because Jesus says, This, then, is how you should, what? Pray. And we spent almost the whole summer, and we're going to be probably into the fall before we're finished, Looking at what it means to pray. What is prayer? Boy, that you Google that. You, you know, there's page after page of, of what is prayer. And, and we spent weeks really kind of peeling back layers because the challenging part about walking through the Lord's Prayer is that many of us are familiar with it. Like, how many of you learned this when you were yay big? Anyone? Right? Recite it, right? I grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition. I, I, I know this inside and out, right? And, and yet, as I was preparing for the whole series, the, 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 the title really challenged. Are you praying or just saying? Right? Again, my guess is many of you, maybe all of you, in some shape, some form this morning probably prayed. Maybe. We, I mean, we did it before service. We do it before every service. In fact, uh, Jordan prayed before the offering, by golly. And I think we're probably going to pray at least one more time before we leave, right? But are we, are we praying or just saying? But to answer that question, you've really got to define what is praying. What is it, right? And, and Jesus actually, in uh, Matthew 6, before he gets into this traditional prayer model, he actually says two things that prayer isn't. You remember, the first thing that prayer isn't is it's not about recognition. He says, hey, when you pray, don't stand up and don't draw attention to yourself. That's what the hypocrites do. So the first thing that prayer isn't, it's not about recognition. And then he says another thing, prayer isn't another R word. It's not necessarily religion in in terms of vain repetition, just saying things over and over and over, right? He says, that's not it either. People think God's going to hear them just because they, you know, vainly repeat. He calls it vain repetition. So if prayer isn't about recognition, it's not about me, and if prayer isn't religiosity, just vain repetition, right, just checking off quiet time, had my quiet time, had my quiet time, what is prayer? And, and, and if you've been with us, you really know that, that it's, an, it's another R word. Prayer is what? Relationship. So it's not recognition, right? It's not religiosity, it's relationship, specifically a new covenant relationship in Jesus and through Jesus, right? We've seen this quote 
Uh, it says, prayer is not manipulating God to get what we want, but discovering what he wants us to do. And then asking the Holy Spirit to enable us to do his will. Prayer is not a way to get what we want, but the way to become what God wants, right? So right away we're challenged because many of us grew up that prayer is a synonym for asking for stuff. Most of the time, even when I was born again and became a Christian, I would listen. I would listen to how others in the small group and those I looked up to would pray, and probably 90% of the prayer was about asking for stuff. So I sort of picked up this idea that, well, I guess it's like God should just like Amen, my will and my plans and meet my needs. That, isn't that what prayer is? We just kind of ask him for stuff. And, and we've been challenged over the last couple of months. Wait. Because think about this. If you don't go to God to ask for stuff, how many of you might be stumped the next time you go to pray? Well, what am I going to do? What do I say? I, I never... Uh, I'm not supposed to ask for things right off the bat? Uh, awkward. Anyone ever have an awkward conversation where you don't know how to start the conversation with someone somewhere? Right? Like, you're supposed to know how to get along, right? And family reunion. Anyone? Family reunion time? Like, because you're related, you're supposed to kind of like each other, but you have no idea who this person is, right? So you're sitting there like, hey, cuz. And you just don't know what to do, right? You just, it's like awkward. Well, sometimes in this process, as, you, as many of you have talked to you, as you've been reframing and redefining prayer, it's actually been awkward with Father. It's been awkward. It's been, uh, uh, this is kind of weird. Because, I, yeah, you mean I'm not supposed to just like sit down and just give him a laundry list? No, no. We talked about the importance of first listening. Listening? Well, that's a revolutionary thought, right? I thought prayer was talk at God, give my request to God, say in Jesus' name superstitiously, and then leave. Right? Kind of, a lot of us have been, it's been a summer, I believe, and, and, and I want to encourage you to hang in there. I want to affirm and encourage you who have been working through the prayer model. I want to affirm and encourage you, right? I, I encourage you way back on week one when we said our Father, some of you, as we look through our Father and actually addressing Father as Father, for some of you that was challenging. And I said, hey, this week, just start your prayer with Father and see what that does. And some of you have, and it's been a good thing, right? And we're going to look at that a little bit more. But, but the word pray, right? We, we've seen the word pray is two parts in the Greek. One is face, to come face to face with somebody. And the second half of the work in the, in, in the Greek is to say something. So we have kind of seen that, that prayer, a great way for us in 2019 to look at prayer, is FaceTime. How many of you FaceTime? Have ever FaceTime? How many of you still don't know what FaceTime is? <laughs> right? Well, FaceTime, right, on these little gadgets that we have, right? You, you fire it up, and I can actually call someone, you know, if I wanted to. I could call my brother, wish him a happy birthday today, and we could FaceTime. We could talk. We could have FaceTime, right? You just got to... Gmail from your principal, but um, <laughs> so prayer, a, w a great way for us to connect with what it's supposed to really be in this model is FaceTime. It's FaceTiming because FaceTime is relationship, right? It, it's it's uh, we're looking. So so how many of us it would radically shift your view and your approach, your heart of prayer to say, 
I'm not just going to go pray. I'm going to have face time with Father. This is face time with Father, right? And we've, we've been working through, what does that mean? How do we do this, right? Uh, Martin Lloyd Jones says, Prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. When was the last time you were just stunned, stunned that this morning you woke up and if you had FaceTime, you had FaceTime with God? Creator, all-powerful, all-knowing, like God, the God of the universe. You had his undivided attention as his child this morning. Amen? Like, knock your socks off. Like, crazy. Like, is that even possible? How is that? And how is that only possible? Through Jesus, right? We've seen this over the last, the new covenant, Hebrews 8. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. It's a new covenant relationship through Jesus, our high priest. We've talked about this, right? Said Leon Moore says, The God who saves people in Christ is the God of his redeemed in a, in a new and definitive way. And when people have been saved at the awful cost of Calvary, they are the people of God in a way never. Everyone say never. Never before known. Never. Crazy. See, if we've grown up in the church, we kind of get jaded and become so familiar. Your access to the throne of grace is revolutionary. Mind-boggling. When Jesus said this to the Sermon on the Mount, the religious leaders freaked out that he said, Father, Abba, Papa, right? This access we have to the throne of grace from Hebrews, in Jesus' name, right? We talked about this before. In Jesus' name is not superstition. It doesn't have to be at the tagline at the end of every prayer, right? In fact, if I were to say, why do you even say in Jesus' name? We talked about that. Most of you say in Jesus' name like I do because that's what I heard. That's what everyone says on TV. That's what my friends say in small group. But none of us ever maybe said... Well, what if we don't say it? Did it count? Right? Did, did, does it count? Okay, so survey says, if you don't say in Jesus' name, does it still count? Okay, if you say yes, put your hands up. Okay, good. I won't ask the other way because you just, you, you just outed yourself anyway. So anyway, um, in Jesus' name is not superstition. It is not a magic tag, Right? But again, because we just mimic prayer and we just pick it up, we get kind of anxiety when we don't say it or someone in the prayer group doesn't say it, right? And they just end with amen. How many of you even know what the word amen means? Right, kind of. <laughs> He's Googling it right there. Right there. It's just peeling back the layers. In Jesus' name, we talked about it before. There's some people here. When you say in Jesus' name, you are affirming a privilege and a right you have, right? We talked about this before. If this is Father's throne of grace, I have the privilege because I'm a believer in Christ, I am in Christ. Hebrew says he's my high priest and through our high priest we have access to who? 
God, Father, right? He's now Father. So when I say in Jesus' name, what I'm saying is, Father, I'm having FaceTime with you, Father. I'm speaking to you, but I'm affirming my right and privilege to do so is only in the name and through Jesus. Amen? That's what it is. That's why when you say in Jesus' name, it actually will make more sense and I think be more powerful for many of us if you say it at the front end. Say it at the front end of a prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you. What are you saying? You're acknowledging that it's only through Jesus' righteousness that you're allowed to have 24-7 access. You see how it changes the whole thing? Now, now it's not off of you. You're focusing on Father and the grace of having Jesus in your life. So say, Father, in and through Jesus, my high priest, I come to you. Reframes the whole relationship. Reframes it all, right? And so it's this new covenant relationship. It's a heart issue. The new covenant and this is why we're, we're moving like inch by inch this summer. The new covenant is a heart relationship, right? Matthew 22. One of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. It says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The new covenant is about love. The model prayer that Jesus gives us at its heartbeat is love and relationship. This is why sometimes it's so challenging. Why? Because many of us on the human level are struggling in relationships. You've had bad relationships. You've had good relationships. You've had relationships that have been very communicative. You've had very relationships that have had zero communication. You've been slammed. You've been affirmed. You're all over the map when it comes to human relationships. And now Jesus is trying to teach us how to relate to Father and that's not a quick fix. Now, honestly, that is not a quick fix for anybody here because we're human, right? It's a heart issue. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. The New Living Translation says it this way, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life, right? It's a heart issue. So ultimately, even how we pray comes out of an understanding of your heart relationship with Father. Right? So, quick slide I put together to kind of show us the roadmap we've been in at this heart level. Right? Here's, here's kind of the main ones that we've covered, and we've, we're moving into the forgiver. So, our is a heart issue. It talks about the, the first word of the Lord's Prayer isn't me, me, me. It's our. It's a heart issue. Right? Then Father is Abba. Papa, Daddy. Father is King. Father is Provider. Father is Communicator. Father is Forgiver. These are all heart issues at the core that Jesus is saying, hey, hey, don't be in such a rush because in this model prayer, I want you to learn to interact with Father as all of this in your life because if you get this, it will transform you. It will transform you because it's born out of relationship, Right? I started youth ministry back in early 1990s. I was doing high school ministry in San Diego. And this couple uh, started going out. And they were both new to the Lord and came to us. They started, you know, through the youth group they met, right? And they start being a thing. And they come to us, the youth leaders, and they're like, hey, we're new to Jesus and new to this Christian relationship. What do we do? How do we do this? It was such a beautiful thing for two young high schoolers to say, how do we do this Christian relationship? We want to honor God. I said, okay, so you've got to honor God first. Even as high schoolers, we walk them through how to read the Bible together as high schoolers, how to pray together 
how to pray individually, and then as a couple, how to pray together as high school students, right? They were trying to figure out a relationship at the human level and at the same time try to figure out a relationship individually and as a couple this way. And it took some time. It took some time because, man, oh, man, can you imagine the pressures even back then in the 90s, but even more so now, of a Christian couple in high school reading the Bible and praying together, desiring to honor God and be above reproach today, right? How challenging that would be. And yet they did it. They hung in there. They honored God. And I, I haven't heard from them from ye- in years, but they love the Lord still, raise kids to love the Lord still. And I think, man, that goes all the way back to teaching them how to pray individually and how to pray as a couple. But it took work. It takes practice because it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue, right? And so this one, this one hour, right? Go ahead, Garrett. You can put that. Hour, the heart issue. What's the heart issue? A heart that is focused on he and we rather than me. Right? We're just going to kind of move these, through these quick. How much of our time in prayer, again, is about me first? But the first word of the model prayer is what? Okay, together. The first word is our. Our. You're part of the church. It's a celebration of his grace. It's a celebration of being redeemed and baptized into the church. Right? Right? John 1, but to all who did receive him, to who believed in his name, he gave you the right to become children of God. You're one of many. You're part of his family. It's our the first word of the model prayer takes our eyes off of me and reminds me. It's a, big, it's a big picture. Our Father. I'm in the church, right? And then the next one, Abba, right? What's the heart of Abba? A heart of what we call around here familial intimacy. The religious leaders, God was unapproachable, except once a year. High priest, day of atonement. Better get it right or... <laughs> right? That's what that was. And then along comes Jesus says, hey, pray like this. Abba, in our words, Daddy, Papa, stunning, stunning what he was saying. You approach, the heart of prayer is to approach Father with familial intimacy. Dad, Father, this is what's going on. This is my heart, right? Now, it doesn't mean that you slide into disrespect because he's still Father King, right? What's the heart of Father King? A heart of submission and surrender, right? Psalm 103:19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all, right? So it's our, it's, it's Abba, but the crazy good news is Abba is still king, amen? Abba is still king. He's still on the throne. That's your father, your, 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 your father's kind of beast, if you know what that means, right? That's your father, right? I mean, I can only imagine like in the sports scene, you know, you, sometimes you see them cut away if, uh, like LeBron James and they'll cut away to his kids. Can you imagine? Like, hey, dude, that's my dad. Who's your dad? LeBron. What? Yeah, LeBron, that's my dad. I mean, we kind of get that at the sports celebrity level. Now, just... Multiply that exponentially. Amen? You say, hey, I know who my father is. King of kings. Lord of lords. Creator. 
all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. Amen? That's Father. But what's the heart behind that? When he says, your kingdom come, your will be done, here's the challenging part of this. What we're really saying at the heart level is, I want your rule and reign in my life. It's a heart of submission and surrender to king's rule. Right? Who modeled this absolutely perfectly? Look at Jesus, Luke 22. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So why aren't we racing through this? Because a lot of us need to sit in prayer with Father and literally ask this question. Father, is there an area in my life where I'm struggling with your rule and reign? Is anyone honest enough to raise your hand and say there's an area in, at least one area in your life where you're struggling with who's in, who's in the driver's seat? Anyone? Huh? How many of you do this throughout the day? Things are good, and suddenly it's like, move over. I got it, Dad. <laughs> right? And then like, ah, Jesus, take the wheel. Right? We've had one of these moments like things are good. We get behind the wheel, and we're just cruising. Things are bad. No, Father, take the wheel. Take the wheel. No. Your kingdom come, your will be done is about your rule and reign. It's relationship, it's trust, it's surrender, it's submission, right? And then we said father communicator, right? We're learning at the heart level. It's a heart that is listening and teachable. Listening and teachable. Meaning, I encourage you, when the next time you go to have FaceTime with father, don't say anything. Don't start talking. Just listen. Like, listen for what? I don't understand. Second Timothy says this. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The primary way God speaks to us is through what? His Word. And I've told you this repeatedly, and I'll say it again today. God will never, ever, ever, ever say something to you in prayer time that contradicts His Word. I've, I've been in ministry almost 30 years. I've heard people say things. Well, God spoke to me in prayer. I know it's not in the Bible, or I know it's against the Bible, but I was in prayer and God said it. If it's against the Bible, God didn't say it. Because we're really good at the human level of somehow figuring out how to get God to say what we want Him to say. Isn't that weird? You've got you to gotta be very careful here because this prayer, as beautiful and as relational as Jesus wants it to be, you have to guard yourself against your own selfish motives and your own self-deception. Amen? I mean, that's just being honest. The Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Right? We, if you're not careful, you can make the Bible say pretty much anything you want it to say to support your position, your opinion, your view, whatever. You've got to be... No. The, script, the, the Scriptures speak for themselves. Right? If you're praying about an issue, God is primarily going to speak through his word. And then if you're not sure, still speak to others and get counsel from others. Biblical counsel, not their opinions. Biblical counsel. Even if it means you might be wrong. Even if you may not even like it. It's still Father's will. And you've got to believe at a certain point that Father's will is best. Amen? Right? How many of you know, would date yourself to the show, Father Knows Best? 
Like, thank you for those that are honest. Others are like, what? I don't understand. What? what? Father knows best. Yeah, there was a show, Father Knows Best. So at the core, we have to believe Father knows, and he'll reveal that through his word primarily. Okay, that's the best check you can have is his word. So we listen. He'll speak to you. If you sit there, Father, it says it's teaching. Okay, I, maybe there's something I need to be taught doctrinally in my word. Reproof, that's if I need to be called out for sin, he'll do it correction i need to make a change in my life training in righteousness i need to start doing something if you listen one of those four categories will probably come to you he'll speak to you very practically and here's the thing when you pray literally have something to write with have a journal have a pen because if you're going to listen believing he's going to speak what should you do write it down and then do it Right? Like, there's an expectation. Like, there's four categories. Training, reproof, correction, and teaching. If he's going to speak to you, you're supposed to write it down and then what? Do something with it. That's how you grow. That's how your relationship grows. And you're like, oh, oh, man, I'm walking. I have fulfillment. I have joy in my life. Because you're listening and writing and doing and he's transforming you and you're becoming more like Jesus. That's what this is about. This is, what, this is our heart. Our vision statement at this church is to, we want you to be passionate followers of Jesus. And one of the ways you're going to do that is learning to pray. Learning to pray. So, Father Communicator, right? And then, we've been moving into last week, and we'll just nudge a little bit further, Father Forgiver, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those, uh, as we forgive those, right? What is the heart of this? A heart of obedience, Rooted in love. What does Jesus say in John 14, 15? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So we're talking about, right? Go ahead, Gary. You put Matthew 6. It says this. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Last week, we, we just, we, I mean, we barely made it to the comma, and we're going to still camp on the front end of that comma because we can't leave there yet. It says, forgive us, go back to 12, okay? Forgive us our debts. What's the heart issue there? When I come to Father and I say, Father, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me my debts. What are you saying? What, what's the heart behind that? Well, it's a heart that, that doesn't want there to be anything any obstacle, anything causing division or separation in my fellowship with God, my Father, right? In my, not in my salvation, right? Go ahead in Matthew next uh, 6.14 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wow, that's pretty weighty, right? So go to 12. So here's 12. Part of the model prayer, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 14 and 15 as an expansion. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So this particular petition in the Lord's Prayer is actually has a condition on you. In fact, last week we had this, and we're going to get here next week and the week after. 
If you're comfortable writing in your Bibles, the most important word in that verse right there is as. Verse 12, right? Go to 12 here. And forgive us our debts as. See, that, that, that word as links this petition to your choice. You're asking Father to do something for you that you are supposedly already doing. It's a bit conditioned. It's a bit conditioned. And this cuts right to the heart of relationship. Right to the heart of relationship. I shared last Sunday, it's kind of like in my family. I have five kids, right? And my, one of my kids growing up, of course, they have their stuff. They get into it. They don't like each other. They da, 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 da. But they want to come to me and they want to like, oh, hey, dad, what's going on? Hey, dad, what's going on? And they want to be all chummy chummy with me when I know they have issues. And I'm like, hey, you need to go make it right with your brother. You need to make it go right with your sister. Right? This biblical way of dealing with conflict was new to me as a believer. I grew up in a home where we brushed it under the rug. Things would happen with my siblings. World War III would break out. We would... Everyone goes their separate ways. About dinner time, we all come moseying back. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. And watch TV? Okay. And we would just start moving right along again. Have dinner, watch, and pretend that nothing ever happened. Right? That's the way I was raised. That's, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know how to sit down and reconcile. And so I became a Christian. We took some parenting courses. And there's this idea in the home that if you can teach your kids, raise your kids biblically to understand biblical reconciliation, biblical forgiveness, this way at the human level, it might help them understand this, God's forgiveness. So when my kids would get into it, uh, we would, we would, I would call family meeting, even to now, even now, right? I don't know if T is here, right? Right, T? Family meeting. Still triggers her. Ooh, family meeting. Wasn't always bad. Sometimes it was family meeting because we're going to talk about vacation, right? It was like good stuff, but most of the time, ooh, family meeting. Somebody's in trouble, right? And so we would call family meeting. Or I would call the meeting between the two parties in conflict. And we would sit them down. And we would talk, right? We would talk. And I'd say, what happened? And, and I would say, what happened? right and what we would do to teach my kids biblical reconciliation is we they would actually have to ask for forgiveness it required asking for forgiveness so usually it would be i'm sorry forget it that's how i grew up if you even got an i'm sorry for me it was like a miracle in my family right so it was pretty much even if you said i'm sorry most of the time it was like oh yeah it's okay does that ever really resolve it Deeply. Is that true reconciliation? No, it's not because it's in their back pocket. Just waiting to be used, right? Got, got all those I'm sorry's, but if I, and what we did with our kids is I would have to say, ask you to say, will you forgive me? And he, he or she, right? I'm not going to throw Vinny under the bus all the time, right? <laughs> would say, yes, I forgive you. Now, what is forgiveness in the Bible, right? So let's look at definition of even the word forgive. Look up here, it says this. To send from oneself, 
to put off, to let go of an obligation or something owed to you, a voluntary release of a person or thing, to release from legal bond, a releasing of a prisoner, right? So how many of you ever heard the, the phrase, God remembers your sins no more, right? Radically different than God forgets them, okay? So when he says, I, I forgive you, he's making a conscious choice to release her. It's a releasing. He will choose to remember it no more, which means I'm never going to bring it up. It's resolved. It's done. Right? When she asks for forgiveness, what she's saying to Scott is, I am going to do my best never to do this again. You see the contract? You see the agreement being made? Will you forgive me? Which means I will do my best never to do this again, to hurt you this way. Da, 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 da. That's, that's on her part. He says, I forgive you. Okay, I receive that. And I now choose to never bring it up and throw it in your face. It's done. When you operate in biblical reconciliation, forgiveness, you know what happens? The relationship actually gets deeper. That's, re- that's built on love. That is built on love right there. That's what God does, right? Look at this quote here. It's a great quote by Wiest. It says, it refers to the act of putting something away. God did that at the cross when he put sin away by incarnating himself in humanity in the person of his son, stepping down from his judgment throne, assuming the guilt of man's sin, and paying the penalty, thus satisfying his justice and making possible an offer of mercy on the basis of justice satisfied. Amen? How many of you feel pretty darn good this morning that God does not remember your sin positionally? Okay, how many of you still sin? Okay, so how does that work, right? We talked about this. We have to be clear on this in order to understand this prayer. In Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer for who specifically? Believers, because it says our, right? It's those who have put their faith in Jesus, new covenant believers. Our Father, right? If you're part of the our, we talked about this last week. I don't know what it is. Oh, here it is. You have had... God, the judge, declare you what? Not guilty. Fully righteous, right? Big word. What's it called? Justification, right? Big word. Justification. A once and for all legal declaration that in Christ, I am declared not guilty, fully righteous. Okay, thank you, Pat. One one person, one person here celebrates the fact that at 11.02 on August 11th, if you are a believer, you have been declared once and for all not guilty, fully righteous. I mean, I don't know. Kind of lights me up. Kind of lights me up, right? Because of all the stuff that comes under that name written in the book of life, new creation, all of that. Positionally, positionally, if you're in Christ, God the judge has become God Abba. See, there's a lot of Christians that are still living like this. Under God the judge. And if you mess up, he's got his gavel and he's going to clock me one. That's you. There's a lot of Christians who are just living in fear. Not, not like reverence of God, but fear of the judge. If you put your faith in Jesus, you are justified. Look at it, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? We have what? Peace. Peace. Shalom. 
You have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Amen? Are you rejoicing? You are justified. God the judge is now your father. You walk into the courtroom. Hey, Dad. Two seconds ago, you walked in scared of the judge. Judge says, hey, come on up, son. Call me Abba. You have peace with God. You have peace with God. And it's out of that peace that love begins to well up in you for him. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's the grace of God. It's the love of God. When you fully embrace and receive, not guilty, fully righteous. As you sit here, you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Positionally, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Positionally. Now, you're like, okay, but I just sinned yesterday. Or I just sinned this morning. What do I do with that? Okay? Well, we talked about that last week. John 13, remember? They have the supper. Jesus gets up and he's going to wash their feet. And Peter has a bit of an issue with that, right? So in John 13, 6, he says, He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. Here's the cultural context, right? When if I'm going to go over to Scott and Susan's for dinner, right? I take a bath, whole bath. I walk there on the dirt, I get to their house, I don't have to take a whole bath, I just got to wash my feet before I come in, right? The lesson for us from last Sunday was, in Christ, you've had this spiritual bath, amen? As you go through life and you choose to sin, because the Bible says you're no longer a slave to sin, right? You're no longer a slave to sin. When you choose to sin, the word picture is you kind of muddy your feet, get dirt on your feet, and Jesus says, you just got to clean your feet. That's the, that's the working with your father. That's the relationship, right? And we talked about the heart issue because the question is, in your walk with father, do you even want your feet cleaned? Are you even aware anymore of the condition of your feet, right? Because Ephesians 4.30, we looked at this as last week, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In the New Living, it says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Uh, the paraphrase, the message, don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit, moving and breathing in you, is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. So we asked ourselves last week, are you grieved? Am I grieved when I grieve Father? Like, think about that. If, if the choices I make, if willful disobedience, if uh, when I choose to sin grieves Him, does it grieve me? 
Does it grieve me to the point of wanting to confess my sin and receive his forgiveness, the cleansing? And that's kind of a challenging question because a lot of us, again, if, if, well, you, Scott, if I have this thing with Scott and there's angst and I'm holding grudges because you owe me, right? You did some stuff and deep down you owe me. But we just choose to get along and, and brush it off. That's going to impact this way. I'm just going to brush it under the rug with God. And I'm just going to get on my life, even though I'm making willful, sinful choices. Uh, I do it at the human level. Why don't I just do it at this level? If I do that with God, and I'm sinning, making choices that displease him and grieve him, but I'm okay with it, you know what that's eventually going to do? I'm going to be okay doing it with all of you. That's just my MO now. That's just my new normal. There's stuff that needs to be forgiven, stuff that needs to be resolved, stuff that needs to be washed off and cleaned off, but I'm not doing it this way, so I'm not going to do it this way, and I'm not doing it this way, so I'm not going to do it this way. And that's the question for us. Does it grieve you? Does, do I get grieved when I grieve God by my willful choices? And that's powerful because it's rooted in love, right? Grief, uh, S. Lewis Johnson, grieve is a love word. He is grieved because we are the objects of the love of the triune God. If you've ever had a relationship to a father or a mother in which you displease them, you know exactly what Paul is talking about. My father was grieved. My mother would be grieved with me because why? They loved me. You see, a lot of people, even you bought into Christianity that don't sin because God's going to be angry and he's just waiting for the lightning bolts. So you're living your Christianity under the law and under the fear of punishment. What Jesus is saying is like, and what, what the new covenant is about is choosing to love him and make decisions based on what? Love. Love. Robert and Lois are about to be married. If you don't know them, wave your hands real quick because you were with the kids. That's Robert and Lois, right? Right? About to enter into a new covenant of marriage, right? This coming week. And it's beautiful. I've never had this age come for premarital. It's like awesome. I was like, dude, this is crazy because my daughter and Garrett, they're like in their 20s and I was, they were sitting on my couch doing premarital like six months ago. And now Robert and Lois are sitting in the same place. God, this is kind of cool. This is kind of cool. Because they got to figure out this covenant relationship, right? Now, I'm just going to ask you one question, Lois. Would you rather have Robert choose his behaviors based on the fear of the wrath of Lois <laughs> or out of just, I love you, Lois. I never want to grieve you as the best of my ability. I love you. I don't want to hurt our relationship. Which one would you pick? <laughs> you, see, you see what I'm saying? We would want in our relationships, hopefully, that our person would be choosing based on a desire to love us and choose to restrain, choose to say no to sin, choose to make, say no to hurtful behaviors because they love us and they don't want to grieve us, not because they're afraid of getting caught. It's like with your kids. And we try to, you know, I was a youth pastor for years and years and I tried to explain to mom and dad, look, I get punishment and consequences. And you try to put the fear, right? Like the fear of dad. Ooh. Wait till dad gets home, right? And you try to control your kids out of fear, fear of consequences, fear of punishment. Question, 
Fear only works until what? They're not afraid anymore because they don't believe they're going to get what? Caught. Caught. How many of you, and if you're honest, did some things in your life, maybe still do some things in your life, because you don't believe you're going to get caught? You knew what the punishment was. You knew it was going to be horrible. You knew you were going to lose your phone, TV, car, friends. You knew, right? Your parents had listed. If you do this, you will lose all of this, right? And you're like, hmm, hmm. And then you got to thinking, wait, I'm smarter than them. How many of you ever thought you're smarter than your parents? You forgot that your parents were once you. So you're like, ah, I ain't going to get caught. I'm, I ain't going to get caught. There's no way. I know mom and dad's routine. Da, 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 da. Right? It only worked as long as you thought you were going to get caught. As soon as you thought you could work the system, and the fear went away. That's why it's a limited motivator. The greatest motivator is what? Love. Love. You want your kids to make decisions because they love you. They don't want to grieve you and vice versa. Amen? That's love. It's like I shared with you last Sunday when I made a decision as a 15-year-old and what it did to my mom when I had to go tell her and work through this, you know? It grieved her. And to this day, I'm 53, I still remember when I had to come clean and say, Mom, this is what happened. This is what could happen to the family destroyed just destroyed her heart grieved her and i remember the grief i felt was not because of the punishment cuz she didn't even she said okay 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 we'll figure this out we'll, we'll figure this out she didn't come with the right act she didn't like i didn't lose anything cuz i didn't need to cuz the pain of grieving her was more than enough i never wanted to do that to my mom ever again I didn't want to cause that grief. That's, what, that's the heart of this prayer right here. It says, forgive us our debts. It's like, Father, I don't want to grieve you. Father, I don't want to be doing things that, that are hurting you, that, that are causing separation. Not judicial separation, but family separation. Father, I want us to be right. I just want to be right with you. Right? And, and, and I thought of this. This is an example of, of Joseph. Joseph is, is sold by his brothers in the Old Testament. He ends up in Egypt in a guy named Potiphar's house. He's real successful in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife starts trying to make advances, right? And Joseph, he's kind of like the man, and he could get away with it. But I love what Joseph says. Look at this in Genesis 39. After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He's like, hey, dude. He doesn't even worry. He goes off. I'm the man around here. I have zero accountability. I know, right? Potiphar, he trusts me implicitly. I can do anything I want. That's what he's saying. Look what he says. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. Here's the phrase. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, what difference would that make the next time you and I are tempted? 
to say, how could I do this against Father? I love Father. How can I do this? How can I grieve Father? Not, oh, with Father. Here's the crazy thing. How many of us tend to forget that Father sees everything? Isn't that crazy? Right? The Bible says there's nothing hidden from His sight. And yet we, <laughs> we go around like we're going to outbox Father. Well, let's just do this. He won't see. He's all present. He's, he's there. Right? But Joseph says, how can I do this and sin against God, question, next time, here's an application. When you're tempted, right, when you're going through, what if you take time out and say, how can I sin against Father? I don't want to grieve Father. I don't want to grieve Father. I love Father. I love Father, right? You contrast this with King David in 2 Samuel. You know the story of David and Bathsheba. King David was supposed to be out fighting. He's not. He sees out one night on the palace, looks down on the city, sees Bathsheba taking a bath, says, who's that? Well, she's married to Uriah. I don't care. Bring her to me. They sleep together. She gets pregnant, right? King David freaks out, tries to get Uriah to come back from the war, to sleep with his wife, to cover up the mess. That doesn't work. So King David has Uriah murdered. Out on the bus. King David. The man after God's own heart. <laughs> right? What was that? One decision after another. It's just one decision, one decision, one decision. Why? Because he didn't stop and say, wait, what am I doing? He got consumed with himself and he got scared and he got into protection. So he's now covering himself. How many of you in your life have ever made a bigger mess of things trying to cover yourself? It's like, dude, if I would have just come clean, it would not have been near as bad as this. Right? But King David, da 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 da, he ends up adultery, illegitimate child, murder. And you know what he does? He goes on. It says at the end of chapter 11 in 2 Samuel, after the period of mourning was over for Uriah, he took Bathsheba as his wife, she gave him a son. Okay. See, a lot of us, the heart issue of grieving father. It's tough because you're still healthy. You still have your job. You, you still have comfortable things. There's no like dramatic consequence in your life. So you think you got away with it. You, you kind of reinforce bad behavior. You're not living at the grief level. You're living at the, well, nothing happened. I guess I'm good, right? Until you turn the page. At the end of 2 Samuel 11, it says this. David thought he was slick. David thought he got away with it. Okay, come on in, Bathsheba. Be my wife. We'll raise our son. The end of 2 Samuel, verse 27 says, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. He hadn't gotten away with anything. Zero. Zero. Circumstantially, it looked like it was fine. Heart level, displeased the Lord. So in 2 Samuel 12, what does he do? The Lord sends Nathan. He says, hey, David, you did it. You did it, you did it, you did it. Busted. Busted him. Right? Busted him. And then he has to make a choice when he gets busted. Just like you and I have to make a choice when we get busted. What are you going to do? You're going to rationalize, you're going to justify, you're going to blame shift, you're going to get huffy puffy, or are you going to own it? 
David owns it. Second Samuel 12. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. There were still severe consequences for this. But he was forgiven. He was forgiven. And he says this, very important, I have sinned against the Lord. So if you and I are walking in life and we're getting some stuff on our feet called sin that we willfully choose, what do you do with it? Well, you do what David did, right? Because 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word confess in the Bible means to say the same thing as, to agree with. So when I say I confess my sins, I say if God calls it sin, I call it sin. You say the same thing. That's what David did. I have sinned. You don't try to water it down. I made a boo-boo. I made an oopsie. I made a wrong choice. I, I, no, call it what God calls it. To confess in your life and in my life is to call what I willfully chose to do sin if God calls it sin. Right? According to this verse, what happens when we do that? He is faithful and just to do what? Forgive. And what does it mean to forgive? You're released. Amen? You're released. So go on and get back. So when, when, when my kids would do, I forgive you, will you forgive me, I forgive you, you know what would happen in a matter of minutes? They would go back to be playing. They would be best friends again and they would just start playing all over again because the issue was done with. That's what happens daily. If you get stuff on your feet and you choose to sin, call it sin, receive God's forgiveness, and then what? Keep moving. Amen? Keep moving. It's okay. Get up. Go. Don't do it again. It's not like a license to keep sinning, but many of us, you're still racked with guilt by stuff you did that God chooses to remember no more. Amen? Where is that coming from? Satan, because Satan's called the accuser. The accuser. How many of you still, just think, don't raise your hand, still live bound by your shoulda, woulda, couldas. Still live bound by sinful choices you made in the past that God has long since forgiven you. You got to be free. You got to be free. You got to come up, confess it, get your feet washed, and it's like, hey, get the pat on the back and get back out there. Get back out there. I love you. You see, this is where our joy over time gets suffocated because we're not continually cleansing with Father. We're not receiving his forgiveness regularly. When it says, if we confess, it's present tense, continuous, as needed. Just do it regularly and see what happens to your joy, your freedom. You just start living again. You just start living. How many? I remember, before I became a believer, take this the right way, before I became a believer and had any real like conscience of God and right and wrong, I was free as can be. I was just out there doing my thing. Living for me, myself, and I. The, the, you know, the party of three. Right? I was kind of free and just... And then 
I became a believer and they kept talking about freedom, freedom, but I was like scared. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't. Want to know Jesus? Jesus, come. Come join our church. We're free. Come on. Come on. How many of you know that God knows you're not perfect? Turn to the person next to you and say, I already knew that too. Go ahead. I already knew that too. Okay, how many of you just felt liberated? How many of you feel a little more liberated today? You're not perfect. Till you get to meet Jesus and you're out of the presence of sin, that's glorification, we're going to be struggling with it. When you choose not to sin, you bring him glory. When you choose to sin, you confess it, receive his forgiveness, and give him glory. You see? It all glorifies him. Live in freedom. Live in freedom. Stop being afraid to make mistakes. Stop being afraid to be human. He already knows you're human. Peter. He told Peter, get behind me, Satan. Jesus called Peter Satan. Like, how real was that? That's like the best, the most real comment ever, right? Think about that would be like in 2019. It'd be a pretty big insult. Like, get behind me. Fill in the blank. You know what I was like? Crazy. If you confess your sin, if you sin, confess it. Say the same thing. Father, I, I sinned when Marvin cut me off on the road. I had road rage that I learned from him. And so forgive me for my road rage that Marvin taught me. No, I'm just kidding, Marvin. Marvin's had an issue with road rage for like 10 years, but that's okay. Confess it, Marv. Just confess it. It's okay. Yeah, I love you. Just live in freedom. Amen? Right? Don't be like David. Don't compound it. Don't compound it. David had a choice to make. Oh, man, I lusted after her. Father, forgive me. I confess it. It's lust. My eyes. Lust of my eyes. If he would have confessed his lust of the eyes right off the bat, Uriah might be alive. Amen? Don't be afraid to confess to Father because you have an advocate, Jesus, because you're in Christ, because you're already not guilty positionally. You don't have to be afraid to come to Father when you sin. He wants you to come to Him. He wants you to acknowledge it, say what it is, and then He wants to... Amen? He wants to clean off your feet. He wants to clean off your feet and send you right back out there with joy because you're good. You're good. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can come to you in utter honesty and transparency. There is nothing hidden from your sight and yet somehow or another we try to convince ourselves that it is, it was, Father, this morning my heart is that we would listen to your voice that says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. In Christ, we're declared not guilty. In Christ, we're positionally 
pleasing to you, but Lord, daily we 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 make some really some really poor decisions that you call sin. So Father, we just want to pray, take this time of prayer this Lord's day to sit with you. Maybe you're here and you need to have some time of confession. Just admit it. Just agree. Call it what he calls it. Sin. But don't get stuck there. Receive forgiveness. Receive the joy and the freedom that he remembers it no more. He wants so many here to be free of the bondage of the past. To not let the accusations of the enemy weigh you down any longer, but to walk daily with Father in the power of the Spirit. Just walk daily. and When things happen and stuff gets on our feet, we come to Him and get cleaned, get cleaned up, get washed through confession. So we'll just sit for about a minute and have face time with Father, specifically about our heart. Father, we don't want to grieve you. Father, we confess and we ask your forgiveness if we become so jaded and so nonchalant about our sin that we've been grieving you without ourselves being grieved. Maybe that's where you're at. I don't know. But let's just sit with Father. Father, Jesus said that we're to come to you and ask your forgiveness. So we do. I confess, Father, the things in my life that you would call sin, I call them what they are. It is sin. I don't hide it. I don't justify it. I just call it what you call it. It's sin. So, Father, I turn from it. I ask you to forgive me. And I receive by faith in your word your forgiveness. Thank you right now. Thank you. Thank you that we're good. Thank you. And, Father, as we... uh, we walk with you daily. May we grow in this one specific area of coming to you constantly as needed in confession and the receiving of forgiveness and just live as joyful, free children of God who know that you're not an angry judge, but you're a loving Abba. (laughs) You're a loving Abba.